Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and workers' stories. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Well, Tony is gone and Malcolm is in. Australians woke to a new Prime Minister on Tuesday, the 15th of September, with Malcolm Turnbull still bathing in the lights of his recent victory. Unrest in the public service means that the industrial relations continues in the same vein as before the Liberal Party coup. Communications workers' unions with Hands Off Australia Post took to the streets, warning the Australian public that the last publicly owned asset is on the brink of privatisation. We will speak to Joe Doyle, spokesperson for the CWU later on in the program, with some sounds from the demonstration on the 12th of September in Melbourne. If you were picking up someone or going somewhere at Melbourne's international airports on Monday, you would have witnessed the chaos caused by the government's refusal to speak with CPSU members for 18 months over their lapsed DBA. Now that Erica Betts has been turfed, the new Minister for Employment, Michaela Cash, late of the union-busting law firm Freehills, will be showing the government's true colours while dealing with the 10 days of strike action twice daily at peak times at the international airports. Stick Together spoke to Nardine Flood, National Secretary of the Community Public Sector Union, on Monday. But first... Jed Carney, President of the ACTU, gives us a general take on the change from tone to mel. The uh, lowering of wages, get rid of penalty rates, uh, removing job security and not allowing workers to have any say in the workplace, which has been the agenda of the previous uh, Prime Minister. Uh, Are you uh, hopeful that uh, this ideological push uh, won't be the same? Well, it is disappointing that one of the first things he says is that uh, nothing will change. I think the ideology is still very certainly entrenched in the current government's view of the world and you depicted beautifully uh, their view of reform uh, in your introduction. That's exactly what it means. It's lowering wages, deregulating industrial relations, um, legislation, cutting wages taking away rights and making life much more precarious and insecure for for workers. Uh, we have always fought back against that. I'm hoping, even though it's still pretty much um, positive, the ideology of Malcolm Turnbull and his government, that that is what they would like to do. I'm hoping they're getting a very clear message that the Australian trade union movement is not going to back off campaigning very strongly against going in that direction. And it's really only through that constant pressure and uh, constant, I guess, um, pushing back from our members, from the broader community, that we will stop them going in that direction. Uh, That's the only way, I think, that we can deal with this. Some people had constantly been reminding others that playing the man... Disliking Abbott so intensely was probably a mistake because actually it's the policies that people should be looking at. That is true. Um, And 
I'm very proud to say that the Australian Union movement tried very hard to stick to the issues. But when you have a leader that is so determined to ignore those issues, who won't engage, who won't uh, make any effort whatsoever to listen to what the community was telling him, it's, you know, I guess very difficult for the electorate, for the community and, and even for our members not to, to rise up against the individual uh, the danger here is that people will be um, enamoured with a smooth-talking, um, quite eloquent, well, as he, he himself called himself, a salesman. And we do not want people to be, uh, I guess, blindsided by the fact that, it, that you know, these are the same policies, they've just got a better seller. Uh, we want to see some real change from this new leadership, and that's certainly what we will be campaigning for. The ACTU with Trades Hall Councils and Unions have not missed a step since the PM change, going out to door knock in marginal seats leading up to the next election, which might be earlier than people think now that Turnbull still is in his honeymoon period. The door knocking is part of the union's Building a Better Future campaign. Stick Together spoke to Steve Delgave from the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union about last weekend's door knock. The unions have been out and about um, engaging with the community around key issues such as services, health, education, trade agreements, things that matter to the community and speaking to the community in the places where the politicians are most anxious for us not to. Now, are, are people surprised when you get to the door? Uh, generally, people are quite happy to have a bit of a natter. Um, they're quite happy to have a bit of a natter about the things that matter to the community. So when unions are engaging the community around things like jobs and things like a decent quality of life and uh, a good health system and a good education system, people are happy to talk about those things. Now, I know that uh, people went to Corangamite uh, a couple of weeks ago and then Ringwood. Was there any difference in the reaction to uh, the door knock? I think that the door knock was very successful. We had hundreds of volunteers talking about the issues that matter um, in the community and certainly out of Ringwood we had a very warm reception on a beautiful sunny day talking about uh, the very issues that the community are engaged in. So much of our media is taken up with the banal and the trivia. It's taken up with things like helicopter rides for politicians and knighthoods for um, foreigners. What we're engaged in was a conversation with the community around critical services and jobs. Do people make the connection between local jobs, say, for example, the uh, China free trade deal? I think there's a legitimate concern around some of the trade agreements which successive governments have entered into and the current trade agreement that's the subject of so much debate is no exception. Um, it is an agreement which does not have a number of key protections in it. Uh, it doesn't have the protections around investor-state relations and it doesn't have labour market testing. Um, while you would do a, a trade agreement with a, a country the size of China without having labour market testing is really hard to understand unless you're deliberately trying to oversupply the labour market and bring down conditions. Uh, I mean, I know that's the position of the unions and uh, anybody who's actually looked into it, but do you find that the people that you're knocking on the doors uh, uh, are aware of this or that they're interested in what you've got to say to them? Generally, people are very interested in it and generally most folks give the 
government of the day much more benefit of the doubt than they deserve. And there is not really enough awareness about the provisions of this trade agreement and how it will affect people's lives. Um, most people initially uh, find it hard to believe that their government would enter into a trade agreement without providing for labour market testing or would be so silly to sign up to an agreement that allows private companies to sue the government of the day for changes in public policy as this trade agreement provides for. Since there's been such a hard line by the present government about unions, are they uh, interested in people who are proudly union knocking on their doors? I think um, people will engage with a reasonable um, dialogue about issues that matter and they're less interested about where you're from and they're much more interested in the issues that matter. Of course, not everyone's like that. Um, but in the main, people are interested in key services. They are interested in employment and there is a legitimate concern in the community about some of the provisions of this particular free trade agreement. So uh, where from, from now? How many more door knocks? What's going to happen? Well, there'll be a lot more door knocks um, over the coming months and there'll be many thousands of people engaging with the community around issues that matter in areas that, frankly, politicians from both sides would rather us not go near. And if someone wanted to be part of the door knock, help out, be part of it, what should they do? They should get onto the Trade Talk Council or the ACTU or their union. Of course, I'm sure the listeners are a member of a trade union and, and they should get onto the union and then get hooked up with a door knock. It's a, it's a very good exercise to be involved in. Thanks, Steve. United will never be defeated. The workers united will never be defeated. The workers united will never be defeated. The workers united. You're listening to Stick Together, union news and workers' stories. I'm Annie McLaughlin. On Saturday the 12th of September, members of the Communication Workers' Union protested on the streets of the State Library in Melbourne before setting off on a convoy to take their message to Canberra. Hands off, Australia Post. A lot of Australia Post resources are now being badged up as blue Star Trek. Um, People know what Star Trek is? You probably don't, but that's the plan. Basically, everyone knows what Australia Post is, but nobody knows what Star Trek is. What they want to do is to be able to privatise it. Later down, after Australia Post has failed, because they've ruined the service and they've put up the prices too much. And why do they want to do that? That's because Australia Post delivers 80% of the nation's parcels. So it is a prize beyond gold that the private sector wants. There's a proposal from the Communications Minister, who's now the Prime Minister, um, upon advice from the CEO, that to have a two-speed mail system, the normal mail that's covered under the Postal Act under the Community Service Obligation, will now be extremely slow. Uh, They get three days to deliver mail in the same metropolitan area and then another four days if you're delivering it from metro to the country area and when you get to the country in one state to the country in another state, they get seven business days. So that's what service is protected under the community service obligation now. And their second change is that they intend putting up the price.
prices very substantially. So they want to charge an extra 43% for the slow mail and then if you want the normal delivery standard that you've had up to date, you're going to be charged 100% more. So we believe that the combination of both those changes will very much lead to a decline in people sending mail and therefore it'll mean a, a loss of jobs both in the direct Australia Post workforce um, but also in uh, there's about 130,000 people who work in things like printing and envelope making and mailing houses and milling of paper who will be affected by um, these changes also. Now, there's been a long-going uh, push towards uh, trying to uh, change the uh, the letter delivery process uh, by the um, the CEO uh, moving everything more towards electronic, but uh, saying that it's uh, losing considerable amount of money and that's the reason for why they have to do this. Yes, um, obviously there's digital substitution and the other thing that affects the amount of mail being sent is the economy. Um, so, you know, there's been a double whack. But in fact, when you have a look at Australia Post, the um, propaganda is Australia Post losing money. That's not true at all. The last annual report that was tabled showed that they made an underlying profit of half a billion dollars, which they then promptly reinvested in the parcel side of the business. So Australia Post's revenue is $6.4 billion a year, and that's been increased under the current CEO's watch by $1.5 billion a year. So while they maintain the reserved address letter um, section of Australia Post is making losses of perhaps two to three hundred million dollars a year. Um, that is uh, not um, covering Australia Post overall. Overall, Australia Post is quite a profitable company and basically they're using that as an excuse to hike the prices, to reduce the service. What Ahmed has done is he has come in and squandered the wealth of Australia Post. Australia Post um, collects revenue from the public of $6.4 billion a year. That is up $1.5 billion more since Ahmed took charge of it in 2010. $1.5 billion of revenue a year. And what has he done with it? He's trying to pretend Australia Post has gone broke. That is not true. Last year, the last annual report that was released showed that they made half a billion dollars profit. Basically, there is a lot of waste in Australia Post. Um, people may not know, but Ahmed receives $5 million for his treacherous act of dismantling Australia Post and the executives get $15 million between them. Why? It is not rocket science running a postal administration. They are public servants. And not only that, but you can see that over time, he's kicked out all the managers who knew what they were doing. There's been an immense brain drain in Australia Post, which is 
why your service has become very poor recently. Um, and he's paid his own cronies to come in and get jobs. And often they don't stay very long. We know that at least 11 people have had sign-on bonuses. The ones we know about are the top people who've had sign-on bonuses of $700,000 without doing a day's work. How ridiculous is that for a government business enterprise? And then he goes on to pay them $1.2 million, $1.5 million a year. This is obscene and it needs to be stopped. And we're going to keep on going and going until we stop it. So people, um, what do we want? The CEO must go. The CEO must go. The CEO must go. What we believe is going on in Australia Post is, and it's very hard to get away from this, is that no politician has ever been able to sell Australia Post. Howard tried it. Um, Abbott's first budget, um, they had, you know, a recommendation to sell Australia Post, but it, they didn't even have the courage to put that up because they know the public won't buy it. And what, you know, why that's so is that the... Um, rural and regional Australia really depend on Australia Post for banking and for parcel, freight and letter delivery. And if Australia Post didn't exist, um, there would be lots of country towns in great trouble. So nobody's been able to sell Australia Post, but what we believe is happening is the current CEO of Australia Post is stripping its assets, he's selling anything Australia Post owns and, you know, say, properties and leasing back. Um, he's contracting out parts of it and also badging up the profitable parts, which are mainly the um, uh, parcel area, as Star Trek, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Australia Post. So nowadays all our fleet, um, the trucks and the vans, uh, the B-doubles are all painted Star Trek colours, blue and white. And so instead of seeing lots of Australia Post trucks on the road, people don't see so many nowadays because they're all Star Trek. And what we think the only explanation for that is that they're preparing um, Star Trek for sale further down the line and that the general public would have no idea that are the people who own Star Trek and that it's really Australia Post resources. So what you've got is at issue is the whole concept of public service and uh, government ownership or public ownership. Isn't that the truth? That's right. That basically Australia Post is the only thing the community now owns with the exception of the Defence Force and um, we believe that what they're doing is setting it up for failure and then they're going to be saying, well, um, you know, we need to sell the parcel arm. You know, it's no, it's no longer necessary to have it in public ownership. But what we're very keen to do is that the parcel and the letter network are so intertwined, they need each other and that they, the same as the city and the country, they need each other and as a whole... Um, within Australia Post, everything cross-subsidises each other and that it's very important that we maintain that last-mile network of delivery. Um, when you have a look at Australia's a huge continent with a very small population 
and you know it's only possible to have a last mile network through something like Australia Post. You are on Stick Together, Union News and Workers' Stories with Annie McLaughlin. Now we've just been listening to Joe Doyle, spokesperson from the CWU, the Communication Workers' Union, about their hands-off Australia Post campaign. They're acting a little bit like a canary in the mines, warning Australians that our last publicly owned asset is just about to reach the chopping block. We also heard a speech that was delivered from the uh, steps of the State Library in Melbourne before the protests sent a convoy off to take their message to Canberra. Hands off Australia Post. Our last story is the one about what's going on at our international airports. Australia's biggest union, the Community Public Sector Union, customs officers were on strike. Nadine Flood, National Secretary of the CPSU, explains. Well, Border Force and immigration staff are angry. They're under pressure from staffing cuts with delays already at airports. And now they face cuts to their current take-home pay of $8,000 a year for thousands of staff and the loss of other workplace rights with a government that simply hasn't listened in what's become an 18-month dispute. So Border Force staff feel they have no choice but to take more serious action than they have taken earlier this year. Customs and Immigration have merged into the Department of Immigration and Border Protection, including the Border Force. Gee, that's a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) these staff are facing major changes in their work. They do have concern about the reputation hit they took a few weeks ago in Melbourne, um, but that's you know that's that's not the primary reason for this strike, but that's a concern because a lot of these staff actually do do really important work, like stopping the importation of ice, guns, dealing with organised crime, bikey gangs, and of course terrorism, and so it's a pretty tough, difficult job. The impact of this strike action is a bit fluid because Border Force is flying large teams of managers all over the country to ask us strike makers at airports at vast expense. So they are turning their heavy-handed tactics on their own workforce. And of course, it would make more sense for government to actually sit down and negotiate, but they haven't spoken to us in 18 months. Why is it possible for them to uh, change the contractual arrangements for employees so they lose so much money? Take home. Well, we've got 160,000 Commonwealth Government employees caught up in this dispute. Now, um, we've had an 18-month-long bargaining policy that seeks to cut rights and conditions in return for very low pay offers, but Border Force is even worse off. Mostly that's because customs and therefore their enterprise agreement was abolished with the merger into Border Force. We've seen strong support from CPSU members this morning. There has been delays at various airports. We're still getting reports in, but we know that the queues have been out the door at Sydney Airport. We've seen an impact in Perth in Cairns. We're still getting information around the country. But of course, look, government can fix this dispute whenever they're prepared to sit down and actually find a sensible solution. 
you know, these are ordinary working people. They're mums and dads who are worried about paying their rent, paying their bills, paying their mortgages. They've been earning this money and these allowances for some years as customs officers and to now face the threat of a massive pay cut, obviously they're really worried and they're angry. stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening in. We have to thank Jed Carney from the ACTU for talking to us today as well as Steve Dargovel from the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, Joe Doyle from the CWU, the Communications Workers' Union, and Nardine Flood from the CPSU, the Community Public Sector Union, for speaking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.